0: CHAPTER 1 ON MATTERS OF LIFE AND DEATH The church was packed to overflowing, and those who were unfortunate enough to arrive less than forty-five minutes early were forced to stand in the vestibule, where the air conditioning was less than ideal, or even beneath the shelter of the portico outside. They did so gladly, because on an occasion like this, the important thing was to be able to say you had been there. The Baptist parking lot was filled, as was the adjacent Fellowship Hall lot and the Methodist parking lot across the street. Cars lined both sides of the street for two blocks, and even as the organ music began to play, latecomers dressed in their Sunday best made their way up the sidewalk toward the assembly. They would be among those who ended up standing against the walls or crowding the vestibule. There were roses everywhere. Baskets of them lined the church steps, the aisles, and the altar, along with the usual selection of potted plants and ostentatious arrangements of lilies. Cecy, the practical one, wondered what in the world they were going to do with all those fresh flowers when the service was over. It was too bad no one was giving a dinner party afterwards. The arrangements could be broken down into gorgeous centerpieces. Cece realized her musings were more than a little inappropriate under the circumstances, and she glanced guiltily at Bridget, who sat next to her on the pew, sniffling into her tissue. I'll never be able to look at another rose without thinking of her, Bridget whispered brokenly. Cece patted her friend's knee sympathetically. She did love roses, she whispered back. Lindsay, who sat on the other side of Cece, leaned in close and murmured resignedly, She's right, you know. I can forget about using roses at my wedding now. Cece inclined her head in regretful agreement. It's just not right, Bridget said, blotting her face with the soggy tissue. Cece looked at her reproachfully. I'm sure she didn't do it just to ruin Lindsay's wedding. She couldn't have known everyone would send roses. Bridget's wet, red-rimmed eyes looked at her friend as though she had never seen her before. I meant she said deliberately. She was so young, younger than I am. Lindsay leaned across C.C. and told her, actually, no, Farley said she was 76. Farley was their handyman and the second person they had met when they moved to this small Shenandoah Valley community. The first person was his sister-in-law, the subject under discussion. Oh, Bridget looked surprised, and cast a curious look across the aisle to Farley, who looked somber and distressed, in a too-tight blue suit, his thinning hair slicked back, his fading ginger-colored beard combed but not trimmed. It was the first time since Easter they had seen him inside a church. Bridget sat back, mollified. She certainly looked a lot younger. Not, she added quickly. That that makes it any better. No, it doesn't agreed C. with a sigh. Seventy-six still sounds young to me, and I can't believe I'm old enough to think that. The other two women nodded glumly. None of them was accustomed to thinking of themselves as old, and they all looked much younger than their driver's licenses would have them believe. Bridget was actually the oldest, but with her short stature, round face, and platinum bob, was often mistaken for the youngest. Cecy was a tall, athletic woman with thick, honey-colored hair and a penchant for the outdoors, which had resulted in head-to-toe freckles, and a talent for carpentry and construction that left her, more often than not, concealing one or more scrapes behind a flesh-colored bandage. Although Lindsay's shoulder-length auburn hair might not be quite as naturally pigmented as it had once been, and though she had abandoned the fight against the few midlife pounds that had turned her willowy size six figure into a slender size eight, she could still turn heads in a pair of skinny jeans and heels. Today, however, in their somber navy and dove suits, and with their hair pinned up and their expressions muted— with a shock of the circumstances, the lines on their faces and the years that registered in their eyes were not so easy to disguise, and no one cared. Ida May Simpson, who sat next to Bridget in a black crepe dress, black tights, and a black felt hat with a veil, and a rather scraggly-looking black feather that had likely last seen the bird which it belonged sometime in the 1940s, folded her arms across her chest and gave a curt nod. She was older than any of them by an indeterminate number of decades and had known everyone in the community most of her life. By contrast, Lindsay, Bridget, and Cece had moved here only four years ago when they had fallen in love with the fading brick Victorian mansion nestled in the lush Shenandoah Valley and had made the life-changing decision to leave the suburbs of Baltimore behind, pool their resources, and buy the place. Ida May, who had been taking care of the house almost as long as its new owners had been alive, was a bonus which, even on her best days, the ladies were not entirely sure was a good thing. Maggie Woodall, the only real estate agent in town, had sold them the house. Now she rested, bedecked by roses, in the satin-lined casket at the front of the church while mourners murmured about how unfair life was, and the organist played a medley of hymns that included... In the sweet by and by, and in the garden. I thought she looked real natural, Ida May pronounced with satisfaction. Several people overhearing nodded in agreement, and Bridget patted Ida May's arm with a weak smile. Lindsay sat back, looking uncomfortable. Why do people say that? she muttered. I hate it when people say that. The last thing I want to look when I die is natural. I want to look dead.